On this month's show, our special guest is Leslie Shore, head brewer at Pike Brewing. We'll ask the question, when is too much too much in our discussion? Talk about openings like Vinasan Pha Kitchen and Isarn Thai and the closure of Super 6 in Columbia City. We'll keep you updated on events and what's happening in the industry and end with some tips. You'll hear it all on the Seattle Dining Show. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Willows Lodge, nestled on five landscaped acres in Woodenville, bordering the Sammamish River, bringing wellness and wine country together. Enjoy the serene spa or relax in front of the cozy stone fireplace in every room. Steps away, enter the Barking Frog, a fine dining experience you won't forget, featuring seasonal menus, memorable service, and one of the most extensive wine lists in the Pacific Northwest. Step into the Fireside Lounge, an indoor-outdoor casual spot on-site that's perfect for comforting food, cocktails, and local wine on the patio or by the fire. For more information, visit them online at willowslodge.com. This is Greg with Bernard Griffin Winery. You're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live at the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to our October show, 2210. It is getting near the end of the year. I'm Connie Adams, Senior Editor, and I'm here with Tom Marin, publisher and owner of Seattle Dining. 2210. 2210. We are in the last quarter of the year. Pumpkin Spice Podcast. (laughs) This is your favorite time of year because you are such a pumpkin spice lover. I do make a pumpkin spice, you know. I, you do. I put it in your coffee in the fall. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, I think I have some at home that either you made or I made after you told me how to make it. Uh, that's probably no good at this point. It's probably oh, yeah. over a year old, huh? I would guess. I go through those spices pretty fast. But yeah, I make some pumpkin spice for fall, and then when we get down to the holidays, I do a little kind of a seasonal Christmassy spicy thing. Yeah. Allspice and ginger and... Cinnamon and clove, I think mm, it is. So good. I'm just making that up off the top of my head, but... Yeah, write it down. Write it down. <laughs> <laughs> We've got it forever now that it's on the podcast. Well, you know, I just saw a couple things uh, go by my eyes over the past month, and I started thinking about what things cost, and when is a cost too much, and when and why would you splurge? Like, for instance, one of the things I saw was that it was a celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, 1,800 tequila and block bar were auctioning an extra rare vintage of 1,800 Colección Tequila and cut in a custom-designed decanter. It went for $25,000. Was this for, uh, like, a fundraiser? I'm assuming. I, well, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming because it was celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, so probably I'm hoping some of that went to, you know, some Hispanic community programs or something. Yeah. But, I mean, for a bottle, even in a nice decanter, $25,000? Yeah. But, you know, I think this all comes down to disposable income. Some people just have so much money that stuff like that doesn't matter. Yeah. As for me, ah, no, I'm not getting in on that one. No. If you want to pour me a shot, go ahead. Yeah. After you buy it. We mentioned last month we don't really, didn't think 
Happy Van Winkle wasn't a great thing, but somebody pours it for us. You know, um, later we're going to talk about two wines we tried. Um, they were $195 each. Is Pappy, is that Rip's brother? <laughs> Must be, or his dad, Pappy. <laughs> um, we've talked uh, in the last month about whiskey and single malt tastings that are $250 and up. Yeah. Uh, you know, hotel rooms can be $1,200 and up for a night. That's crazy. And then I saw this thing, which has nothing to do with food, but it just was a shocking thing to me. And it, it's only shocking because I don't pay attention to the art world. But Paul Allen, in 2006, paid for a painting, $40 million, as they're getting auctioning off his art collection. It's, a, it's over a billion. Wow. And, you know, I can see getting so much that you might get over a billion. But, you know, $40 million for a single painting. Yeah, but now if it's a billion, that was a pretty good investment. His total collection's a billion. Oh, I see. This was, I don't know what this one was going for. That's what he paid for it in 2006. So it's like most of us aren't in that, like you're talking about, the high disposable income. But right. as food prices have risen, where do you draw the line on things like scallops or crab or high-end beef like Wagyu? If Restaurants even offer because we've had people tell us we can't serve scallops anymore because they're too expensive. People wouldn't pay for yeah. it. Yeah. So, what's for you? When and where would you splurge? What do you splurge on? Well, when it comes to something like wagyu, I won't buy it at a restaurant because mm-hmm. it's not grass fed. Yeah. And I can cook better at home and buy it. For less at the at the grocery store, mm-hmm. so that's just that's just where I am with my disposable income. Yeah, but you know, now and then we'll splurge. We'll we'll know we're going to go somewhere for dinner. And it's going to be two hundred bucks when we go, mm-hmm. and we'll do it. Yeah. But we won't do it every week or every uh, month. No. So yeah, we haven't been. Doing I, it. I don't really have a number Mm-mm. in mind. If you're looking for a number from me, no, I was thinking about wh- what would you splurge on, but. It, for us, mostly, it would be food or food. travel. Yeah. You know, if we want to go someplace. Food and experiences. Yeah. You know, my car is almost 20 years old. Yeah. And I think of my car as new, and it's, what, six or seven years old now? My laptop's like 30 years. Oh, no, yeah. it's not 30. <laughs> Close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the experiences thing is, is better. And also, I think you hit a certain point in your life where pretty much you have what you need. So mm-hmm. buying stuff, and and again, if I were really into art, you know, maybe that would be something. You know, I have one. Uh, I don't know if that is a painting. It's a lithograph or something that I paid a lot of money for for me, and I did that oh, twenty five years ago or something, thirty th- years ago. The thing that scares me is if I have to get a new car. Yeah, because there's so much more money now than they were when I bought my car twenty years mm-hmm. ago. They're almost. Like it, like if my car was built today, it would probably cost double. It yeah. would be up, you know, around thirty eight thousand dollars. Yeah, and it went, and I bought it for sixteen. Oh wow! So you can't even find a car for sixteen that's new. And it, it, you know, I did I did uh, research this one time how the the price of cars versus the price of of uh, inflation, mm-hmm. and cars have exponentially risen higher and higher, way higher than. Uh, the rate of inflation. Now, do you think that's partly because of technological advances? It is. Yeah. yeah. There's so much more technology in a car now than, it, than when you bought a Model T back yeah. in 1910 or whatever. And, you know, a lot of that is great, but it also means there's a lot more that can fail. 
So you've got more um, maintenance and care and repair yeah. coming up, you know. But, you know, I still got my G- GPS from the 1910 Model T. I still got that. <laughs> I had something go wrong with my – I have a stackable washer and dryer. and Something went wrong with, with it one time, and the guy was out fixing it, and he said, you know, I can kind of mess around with this, and I'll get it working for you, but, you know, you're, you're probably going to need something pretty new, but – if you can drag it out, I would, because this has no technology in it. Yeah. You know, it, it could go for a while, so just see how it, how it runs. I got a new refrigerator a year ago, and the ice, breaker al- ice maker already broke. <laughs> you call it the ice breaker. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's the ice breaker now. <laughs> now we're back into food talk. Don't, don't mess with our ice. So uh, so now I've you know, been making ice and silicone trays, and, and when I have time, I'll get around to tearing the ice maker out and putting a new one in, but mm-hmm. I don't have time right now, so. Yeah, and, you know, after a year, should you really have to I do know, that? I know, after a year. And, you know, they keep hammering you, you know, uh, pay $70 and extend your warranty another year. I'm like, no, 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 it's a GE. It'll last for a while. Yeah. And then as soon as the last note came, it was like the next week after the ice maker <laughs> gave up the ghost. Always. I tell you. Well, let's talk about where we've been eating out. Okay. Um, I'll start with one. I went to a place that you and I had been before, but it's been a number of years, several years, and it's Five Bistro in Edmonds. Mm-hmm. It's and right on 104. They're going – if you're coming off the ferry and heading into Edmonds, it's, it's right there on On the right side, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was actually pretty impressed. We just did a happy hour, so we tried several appetizers. And uh, they had a nice uh, selection of wines and things by the glass. And I thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I I don't remember disliking it when you and I were there, but I know we liked Hills better at the time. It wasn't like we had to go back. Yeah, obviously, since it's been several years. But, but yeah, now I would go back now if somebody was, if, you know, if I was eating in Edmonds for some reason, which I'm usually not. And Except then, your next place you went to. In Edmonds, of all things. <laughs> I met a friend in Edmonds, so we went to lunch, and I just threw out about five names of places we could try, and she just said, I'm just going to you know, point my finger because I don't know any of them, but let's try the Rustic Pelican. And I said, okay. So and it's it called is, the Rustic? No, it's Rusty. I'm just oh, looking at my type of the Rusty okay. Pelican. Sometimes if there's a C in another word, I just type it really early. But, you know, I was actually happy with it. I They... The people who originally started it were Greek, so they have a Greek section of the menu, and I got a gyro salad, which I liked. And they and um, Ellen got a harvest salad going into fall. And on both of those salads, they had a smaller portion and a regular portion, which I really like. And people who have lived in Seattle for a while will remember there was a rusty pelican over in Wallingford, and this is the same people, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. And there was a rusty pelican that was a chain out of California, and but it's been a gone a long time. Yeah, that was a different totally thing. different. It was a big deal. You know, it was supposed to be. And a- those people actually served rusty pelicans. You, <laughs> could, you get a Wagyu rusty pelican. You know what? I never had them because they were way out of my price range. I just I wasn't <laughs> splurging that night. Uh, that's back when I had a corporate account. <laughs> well, the other place I tried, and I just I think this is a it's a stupid funny story. But it's Saison, if I'm pronouncing it right. And they're on 15th and Ballard, 15th and 73rd and Ballard. Mm-hmm. And they, they opened a place on Queen Anne. So it's right down the street from my house. They've been there like two and a half years. They have since closed it because that, that property is being redeveloped, which they knew was coming. Yep. 
but I never went when it was on Queen Anne. I wouldn't walk down the street to it. But here I go to Ballard, and I was really impressed. It was qu- I thought the flavors were really good. Hmm. So, I haven't been yet either. No, so uh, we're going to have to get you there. because And now they're opening a new place, which I have not been to. Well, it's not open. Maybe, to, maybe uh, it is open by the time you're hearing this. It's called Maze. Now, Maze, um, I think it's Maize. M-A-I-Z-E? M-I. It's Maize, I think, in Spanish. Oh. But Maize, like corn. Right. Um, they do have a spot at Pike Place Market. And now they've opened this one on 6th, kind of between downtown and Seattle Center, you know, further north from mm-hmm. downtown. So, um, and the one there is going to be have a bar and um, reserve seating. They're using open table. So they're, they're kind of, they call themselves newbies, but they, they know, seem they're to know what they're the doing. They're on the move. Yeah. So what about you? Uh, well, I popped into Martino's and had lunch there at the new Martino's location on Greenwood. And, uh, you know, they kind of pride themselves on their tri-tip. So I had a, a tri-tip sandwich, and it was uh, chewy. Oh. Didn't, look, didn't care for the grade of meat. Must have been select or choice. Yeah. That's Wasn't not, very good. That doesn't bring you back. No, I had to pick my teeth a lot after that one. Yeah. And you know, if you uh, if you spend any time looking at my excellent typing skills, like Rustic Pelican, this is also Martinios. Oh yeah. So, I tell you. And then uh, you and I went down and tried out the Five Spot, which is reopened on the top of Queen Anne, and mm-hmm. we got prime rib. Mm-hmm. And uh, new owner. And they're still sorting it out. I'd give them another thirty to sixty days before I go back. Yeah, they're they're uh, it, the people who own it. The guy who owns it actually owns a catering firm. So mm-hmm. I don't know if this is his first restaurant foray or what. But you know, like anybody, when it's new and and Five Spot was very popular. Even now, I can tell you that on the weekends, people are lined up to get in there for breakfast. Right. So you know they're they're dealing with. Mass crowds in the morning, not so busy in the evening, not enough staff, you know, it, all the things that happen when you open. Yeah. So I give it a little time and then I go back. Yeah. So. Yeah. Seems like nice people. What have you been cooking at home? I actually had two things that worked out pretty well for us this time. Um, maybe my favorite was the peach bruschetta, bruschetta. And I, I did it with... Um, it actually, the recipe that I was looking at, several recipes, were talking about goat cheese. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that to Tom because he's not a goat cheese fan. So it's the bread with a little olive oil on it and, and baked so it's not too hard but a little crunchier. And then uh, blue cheese yeah, and then actual peaches chopped up and then a hot honey over the top. And I will eat good goat cheese. Yeah. But it has to be something like Monteleone. Unfortunately, no more Port Townsend or yeah. uh, Mount Townsend yeah. cheese company. But yeah, but the the good local stuff, I like it. Yeah, but I like that dish. And then I f- was thinking about doing some tacos, and I found a tomato lime marinade. So you marinate the chicken in tomato and lime juice in a blender, you know, and then put it over the the chicken. And so we did that, and I had. You know, just the Mexican blend cheese, and um, it was good. That was good. Yeah. Well, I 
went on a little recipe discovery mission, creating my own recipe for jambalaya. Mm-hmm. And it came out pretty darn good. It was quite good. Um, I, I must have looked at a half a dozen or more recipes. Some had the uh, the uh, the sort of Cajun Creole holy trinity of onion and celery and pepper. Mm-hmm. But knowing that you don't like green pepper, I went with Anaheim chili. And uh, that worked out pretty good. Yeah. And uh, just had my little chopper going like crazy that day. <laughs> I chopped all the all the veggies in it. Um, I could have chopped the shrimp in it. Uh, let's see, the chicken we pulled. Mm-hmm. And then there was andouille sausage. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was some tomato sauce out of it, or, you know, uh, diced tomatoes out of a can. So I didn't put any salt and pepper in it because yeah. uh, you get that when you pour out, out that can. Yeah, exactly. So And it uh, didn't need it either. I thought it was seasoned nicely. It didn't, you know, you got the spice from the sausage. That was some heat. Yeah. It was good. And then uh, knowing that the holidays are coming up and I was down to my last serving of chicken stock, I whipped up a new serving of chicken stock. Or a new batch of chicken stock. And, oh, man, it smelled so good. It did. It's pretty condensed. It's got a lot of veggies in it. And then the chicken backs are in there. Uh, I did a little Kenji trick and put a little collagen in there. Oh, oh. He calls it bone marrow. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, we haven't had it yet, so we don't know. But I think it's going to be good. And, you know, um, I did everything organic. And you know what happens when you do chicken stock organic? You know, you don't get any of that foam. Yeah. You know, I had those chicken backs all chopped up into two-inch bits. And uh, there was no funk and no foam that I had to skim off. It was just beautiful-looking chicken stock when I pulled everything out. I mean, before I pulled everything out, when you start to boil, that's when you get the foam. I didn't get any foam. You know, it goes to show you what kind of food has been eaten in this country for years because every recipe says skim off the fat. Yeah. You know. And I know I've made it with with non-organic products before, and it's just foamy. Yeah. And and nasty looking. And I understand why people need to take that off. But when you do it all organic, it doesn't – it never shows up. Yeah. And often the flavor is better anyway. It's – Oh, yeah. And this time when you made stock, you said you didn't add any salt. Didn't put any salt in. Yeah, because you're going to salt. Didn't put any pepper in. And you'll salt and pepper every dish that that's used in, you know. Yeah. So why double up? Actually, you know what? On uh, jambalaya, I did salt and pepper the chicken. Mm. Yeah, I did do that. But what you do is you salt and pepper it, and you cook it with the skin on, Mm -hmm. and you get all that fat out of the skin, and you pull the chicken out. And you set it aside, and you take the skin off, and you chuck that. Oh, okay. So and then you wasn't... and then you shred it with forks. Okay. So that's the only place there was any salt and pepper. Yeah, and it really wasn't in there. And I just had my fourth leftover today of oh, the jambalaya. And it doesn't need any salt wow. and pepper. I, I I was thinking I would put it on it. Yeah. And then I forgot. And I forgot. I never took any home. <laughs> Sigh. Shall we talk wines, or do we want to take a break? Let's take a little break and we'll come back and talk about wines and news bites. 
Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... The Canyon River Grill, located in the heart of Yakima Canyon. Experience Chef Kevin Davis's meticulously crafted and delicious cuisine alongside the Yakima River. Extend your stay in overnight in one of the Canyon River Ranch's exquisite suites. Visit the website at canyonriverGrill.com for hours and reservations. Hi, my name is John. I'm from Edmonds, and my favorite restaurant in Edmonds is Bar Dojo. Hi, this is Kurt Beecher Dammeyer, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. I was not the pretty girl then All the boys at her feet And everybody everywhere loved her No one knew what went on Welcome back to the Seattle Dining Show with owner-publisher Tom Marin, and me, Connie Adams. We are going to talk about the wines we tried, some of the wines we tried this, some of the few wines out of the thousands we tried this month. (laughs) (laughs) Out of the cases that we tried this month. Uh, Let's see, we had a uh, 2020 Substance CH Chardonnay from Charles Smith. It was a 13.5 alcohol. And this is one of the wines that he gets all his grapes out of the Mattawa area. It actually, he has a, a a little. It's it's all processed there. Yeah, yeah, it's all done there. Uh, you got this for twelve ninety nine at Costco. Kind of light yellow color, mild oak, and a bit of butter on the palate. We liked it on its own and with our turkey and bacon dip sandwiches. Mm, that's another thing I made this year. This that year was with the avocados in there, right? I don't think I did have avocado on it. That was my um, oh, that was something else. Hmm. I'm blanking. It all runs together. It does. You see, it's like we eat every day or something. <laughs> uh, we also had a uh, would we would we drink it again? Yeah, we'd yeah, drink that we would again. drink it. In fact, I've got another bottle in the fridge right now. Oh, good. Let's get it open right now. <laughs> uh, we had a 2019, how do you say this? Trophy, I think. Or trophy. trophy? I don't know. Cabernet Sauvignon, 14.7% alcohol from the Andrews Family Vineyard in Horse Heaven Hills. <clears throat> Produced and bottled in Prosser. Was a hundred and ninety-five dollars, and uh, Connie, you didn't buy this at Costco. I did not buy this at Costco. Yeah, uh, it was ruby color, had some tears on the sides. I got some cherries out of it. You got sort of an earthy, fruity nose. Had a lot of body, a little bit of acid, long finish, different layers. You thought it had a little bite, kind of fruity, kind of cherry. We had this with a grass-fed ribeye. The earthiness came out with the food. Food took a little edge off the bite. Yeah, that was a good pairing. Would we have it again if somebody sent us another bottle? Yes, we would. (laughs) We will not pay $195. No. And along with that, we had a 2018 Trophy Cabernet Sauvignon, but uh, this is a 2018, not a 2019. Uh, it was 14.5% alcohol. Uh, grapes came out of Walla Walla, also $195 for a bottle. Uh, pretty dark, 
kind of berry, kind of earthy. Had sort of a dark, dry flavor. Stays with you. Lots of body. Uh, it did burn the throat, so there was that 14-plus alcohol in there. And we had this with grass-fed blue cheeseburgers. We stuffed the meat, didn't we, with blue cheese? You know what? Yeah, we did. I did yeah. do that. I was thinking I bought them, but no, I did do that. It was good alone, and it was good with the burgers. But I just can't get into spending $200 for a bottle of wine. Yeah, we th- we said we drank them both. I know that I like the 2018 better than the 2019, but... Nonetheless, I've had wines that I enjoyed as much or more that were $30 or, you know. So these came to us by way of a PR company who was Mm -hmm. working with the winery. Are these restaurant-only wines, do you know, or are they – can people search these out, I wonder? I don't know. I think think you could search them out. I think they don't make a ton. I don't think it's a huge volume. So it may be that it's mostly either – Wine club or restaurants could be. Yeah. I didn't look it up. So yeah, if you if you got money to burn, go get them. Yeah, you'll probably love them. What's going on in the world of the news, by? Well, I'll tell you. Let me start with new stuff. Um, local bigger burger. This is news to me. I happened to drive by a local bigger burger on Capitol Hill the other day, and it was the first time I. It was where the old Blue Moon was. First time I'd even noticed it, but it's a Hawaii-based fast casual burger chain, and they're opening another location in Pioneer Square. They've got the one on Capitol Hill and one near Green Lake, and this one in Pioneer Square, I've not seen a date yet as to when it will open. Then Vinasone Fa Kitchen opened already at 1521 First Avenue South in Home Plate Center. So I don't know if that's in the next to the... um, Stadium, or is it a thing? Home Plate Center. I didn't know what it was, but uh-huh. Vinasone is a farm-to-table Vietnamese food place, and it has a self-serve wine, beer, and beverage wall, and it is locally owned. Sounds like it's in the stadium. Uh, yeah, the Home Plate Center. I don't know. Hmm. I've never... Home Plate Center, I think that's like where all those restaurants are out behind Home Plate. That's what I'm wondering, if it's not inside, but... Oh, you, in, in the stadium. Yeah, in the stadium. Hmm. There's a whole bunch of restaurants in an area. It's, yeah. it's not really restaurants, but, you know, you but, go in, yeah. you get your food. But that's why I'm wondering yeah. about, you know, with the self-serve wine. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to check that out further. We'll Chef, get back to you. We will. Chef Shota Nakajima has partnered with Red Hook Brew Lab on Capitol Hill. And, it, and the Brew Lab is right next to his Karage chicken spot, Taku. And it is called Kobo which means yeast in Japanese, which kind of fits with the whole beer thing. And he is making pizza inspired by Detroit-style pizza, which is kind of a fluffier um, crust. What am I trying to say? Base, the crust. Mm -hmm. And then the edges is kind of cooked, you know, it's a little uh, harder. And he's adding some Japanese ingredients to sort of make it a little different. It's a little sweeter, the crust, Hmm. the base. Um, and he told me, I, I interviewed him the other day, so there'll be a two-part story coming up on him on Seattle Dining, so you can look forward to that. So but, like you get a little umami pizza, huh? Yeah, umami. But yeah. in the first two weeks, they sold all the pizzas out in two hours. But they only made three a day. That is not true. <laughs> <laughs> but um, So that's kind of 
that seemed to be going well. And that was the first time I'd been in the brew lab also, which was kind of fun. So is this in Red Hood? No, it's on Capitol Hill. Yeah. Yeah. It's called the Red Hook Brew Lab. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, Red Hook didn't... Somebody bought Red Hook, like Miller or somebody, right? Uh, Yeah, but then I thought they spun it back off. Oh, did they? I could be wrong. I don't know. Since I was talking to Shoda, I didn't talk to the beer people, so... Um, then the old Paragon location is finally having somebody go in on top of Queen Anne. It's going to be an Isarn Thai. They have locations already in Ravenna and Kirkland and Linwood. And then in Fremont, this is another new one on me, and I don't think it's new, Kinlen Thai Night Bites. So they've got quite a bit of stuff going on. And uh, so I'm kind of excited to have them up on Queen Anne. Can they only go there at night? I Thai Night Bites. Yeah. I wonder if they have a night market. That's what I'm wondering, or if it's just, it's, it's street food. So it may just be something that normally in Thailand you get at night on, on the street or something. Mm. Hopefully I'll have more information on that soon. Um, right now they're looking at October or November opening. They're doing quite a bit of work inside there. And then uh, Mitch Mayer is closing Sawyer in Ballard after service on October 2nd. So he wants to spend more time with his family. You sure hear a lot of people in the restaurant industry say those words. Um, it's just long hours when you own a restaurant. So the family has moved to Woodenville. He says he has no plans to open a restaurant there, and he's probably going to work for somebody else. Yeah, and does anybody know if the Barking Frog has hired a new executive chef? Oh, yeah. It was the executive sous chef, and he took Oh, okay. Over. Yeah. Because I thought maybe that was that's how that was going to play. Oh, no, no. There's somebody already there. Um, a closing and an opening, Super 6 in Columbia City, closed uh, late August. But the same owners are reopening the space as Marination Columbia City. You know, they've got Marination. Food trucks, yeah. The, the truck, and then they've got um, on Marination on 6th, and they've got Marination Mackay in West Seattle. Uh-huh. And, and don't they have a, a space inside the ballpark somewhere? Oh, yeah, they do. That's yeah. right. In uh, the Mariner Stadium. know something. See? And I forgot that. <laughs> I, I heard from somebody else that who had talked to the owners that the two concepts, what they were doing at Super 6 and Marination, were so very different. Like they only have back of the house at all the Marination. They don't have a front of the house staff. Mm. And then they, and they had that all at Super 6. And they just wanted to use their original concept. So they thought they would go back to that in that space. And then San Michel Wine Estates is purchasing A to Z Wine Works. Uh, and, that's interesting. Yeah, that's because we had um, the A to Z Shard. Wine. Yeah. And the other brand of A to Z is Rex Hill, which is it used to be one of my favorite Pinot Noirs. These are both out of Oregon, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they already own Erath mm. Winery. Um, so they have a big stake in Oregon wines now. Huh. So. And then a congratulations, Melissa Miranda of Musang has been named by Food & Wine Magazine as one of the 11 best new chefs in America. Um, and she was also a James Beard Award final, semifinalist in the Best Chef Northwest and Pacific category this year. She does Filipino food. And it's, um, I believe it's pre-fee. It's one of those that, you know, she only does pre-fee. Hmm. But she's getting a lot of... Well, invite Connie and I over. We want to check out your food. 
and then we'll interview you, make you spend a lot of time with us. And then Talking Rain, who makes sparkling ice, was named one of the top 10 places to work in Washington by Puget Sound Business Journal. Out of 25, they were in 10th place. Um, and it's and they won it for fostering employee growth, strong sense of community, and creating connections. Yeah, and I, selling water, and selling, selling a lot of water. Yeah, which I happen to like sparkling <laughs> ice. So. so that's the scoop. All right, well, let's take a little break, and when we come back, we'll get into the calendar. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Esquin Wine and Spirits. Drop by and check out one of the widest inventories of wines from around the world, as well as local and international spirits, all procured by their expert staff. Is your wine collection ready for a new home? Esquin offers monthly wine store storage lockers in a temperature-controlled environment. Visit their website at madwine.com today. Hi, my name is Leslie, and I'm in Seattle now, but I was in Bellingham for 15 years and have always eaten at this Thai restaurant called Busara, and... It has better Thai food than even I had in Thailand, and it's amazing. Hi, this is Bob Harris with Robert Ramsey Sellers, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. And we are heading into the calendar section. Keep in mind that we update throughout the month, so you can always go back and see if there's something else new. We just pick out some things we think are interesting. All right. Well, the first one we got today, this runs all month long, so you got no excuse. (laughs) The Haunted Seattle Ghost and Pub Walking Tour. Your choice of start time, it's a two and a half hour walking tour. It's going to be running every Thursday through Sunday all month. Costs $34. $34. It's a ghost tour that takes place across three of Seattle's best bars. Can you tell us what those bars are? I can tell you the last thing is that it starts at Pike Brewing and it ends at Kells. But I don't know who's in the middle and I don't know if that means the three or there's three in between there. Okay. It's a mystery, a ghost mystery. It's a, uh, and the, the the guide is wearing a costume, sharing lesser known tales of haunting and horror in Seattle. <laughs> Groups are limited to ten people, and uh, that's what we know. That's what we know. Might be kind of fun. Then October first, so jump on this quick. Uh, it's the fifth annual single malt Saturday at Daniel's Broiler in Bellevue from 5 to 8 p.m. This is another one, 258 to $331. Includes a commem- commemorative tasting glass, and there's a large selection of heavy appetizers, which you know will be good. They'll have over 100 single malts on display and available for sampling. They'll have a small collection of unique scotches, single malt Irish whiskey, and Japanese single malts, and there will be brand reps on hand to answer all of your questions. You know there's some disposable income in that room. You do know that. That's their demographic. 
All right, October 6th, going to be Brew at the Zoo from 6 to 9 p.m. It's a $40 general admission, and that includes seven tasting tickets. And you get to sample delicious imports, domestics, microbrews, ciders, and more from over 40 breweries. 1899 Grove and other satellite locations will be open to purchase additional food. Meet some of the zoo's most eccentric animals with up-close encounters with the zoo's ambassador animals. Yay! Is that on my first or my seventh tasting? (laughs) (laughs) Don't get too close to the animals. It's a 21 and over event. It's an after-hours event. And it will happen rain or shine. Then there's another brew, a beer festival happening October 7th and 8th, the Seattle Fresh Hop Beer Festival in Magnuson Park, Hangar 30. I'm not going to go through all this. It's, you know, like Friday and Saturday, but there's a an early entry. There's a general admission. There's a festival only. Yeah, there, all the it, details on the calendar yeah, page. it right? should be. The, well, I'm not sure I did, so I'm going to have to go back and do it. Or you can just go out and, and You can search. do the calendar page and hit the link. Yeah. 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 Um, so check that out. It's a huge and unique selection of the best brews in the Northwest. Uh, they say they have nonstop entertainment and they have food trucks. And one of the things that I thought was funny, they said, there are sights you can't unsee and brews you won't find anywhere else. It's a kick-ass party for brewers and beer lovers. So you know who you are. Yeah, all you kick-ass brewers. <laughs> all right, October 7th through 9th, it's the 442nd annual Demetrio's <laughs> Greek Festival, St. D's Greek Orthodox Church. As always, it's free. It's going to run Friday from noon to 9 p.m., Saturday from 10 to 9 p.m., Sunday from 11 to 6 p.m. I haven't been in years. I know. When I used to live over there, I would go. Uh, Plenty of Greek food. There's going to be music, dancing, culture, shopping, Greek wine tasting, docent-led church tours. So even though it says it's free, Oh, yeah. That's just the admission. You're going to be probably paying for food oh, yeah. and wine tasting and all that. You know, I've only gone once, and I went with a girlfriend, and she had her toddler, kind of a toddler. She couldn't walk that day because it was cold, and, and my friend had her so bundled up, I don't think she could have moved her legs. That girl is probably 38 now or 35 or mm-hmm. something. So, yeah, it is probably the 450th annual annual. Yeah. And then um, October 7th through the 9th, it's the Dungeness Crab and Seafood Festival in Port, on the Port Angeles City Pier. It also is free to get in, but there's a lot you can spend your money on, including the uh, crab dinner. And you do have to make reservations and pay in advance for that. You can do a half or a whole crab, corn on the cob, and coleslaw. It's Friday, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday, 10 to 9, Sunday, 10 to 5 there's all kinds of food, beverage, live entertainment, artisan and craft vendors, demonstrations, and a lot of food. You know, if you're not a seafood person, you'll have something to eat. And this is the first time we're going to go. We're going. I'm, I'm excited. And uh, we had a little trouble trying to get a place to stay, so we ended up we're, we're going to be staying down in Squim. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. Yeah, we have some people we're going to see and do some things. So yeah. 
Uh, October 8th, it's the Seattle Cheese and Meat Artisan Food and Beverage Festival at Macaw Hall. Macaw, Macaw! <laughs> uh, it's going to be running at various times. Yeah, if you look at the oh, yeah, thing down there, it's a got, bunch of... There's various tastings that happen at different times, so you have to... Uh, you can you can get the super pass access for one hundred ninety nine dollars, or you can be buying individual tastings for looks like eighty five dollars yeah. each. And they have one at you know eleven a.m. and one at three, so one at seven. So it just depends on how you want to do it. It's going to be a seminar on beer, chocolate, and cheese happening at six p.m. That's forty five dollars. Uh, just just buy the whole darn thing for one ninety nine. <laughs> Just go for it. On October 16th, this sounds kind of fun. I know they've done this before. Um, it's called Autumn on the Edge at the Edgewater Hotel from 1 to 5. It's free entry again, and then you pay for food and beverage. But there are there's a little pumpkin patch, a petting zoo, and craft stations for kids. For adults, it's there's a craft beer garden and treats from Seattle area vendors. Um, local cider, beer, wine, seasonal food, and beverage from 6-7 restaurant at the hotel. Um, and they suggest street parking because I think uh, they're only letting hotel guests park there during because this happens out, outside, obviously, with the petting zoo and everything. But, you know, the, the overnight charge to park is $52 plus tax. Just put that on my corporate card. Yeah, I tell you, I don't want to spend $50 on the hotel room. I'm so cheap. Take the bus down. Yeah, so definitely bus down. And, or take the light rail. Or... And, you know, it's on the waterfront for heaven's sake. There's a lot of people down there, so you're not going to find a parking place unless you park in a garage, basically. Yeah. Uh, October 17th, an event at the Book Larder in Fremont with author Andrea... Gentle. I'm thinking Gentle, but I don't know. Okay. On a new mushroom book. Going to be at 6.30 p.m. Uh, the cost ranges from 5 to $30. I'm making an assumption that you could buy the book or just go for 5 bucks or something. Oh, okay. I'm guessing. Uh, and uh, Andrea is a award-winning food and travel photographer, just like me and like you. Exactly. Um the book focuses on a dozen or more accessible cultivated varieties of mushrooms and a few wild ones. Wild. 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 There's always lots of events at Book Lawyer, so use the link on our calendar. And check this one out and see what else they got going yeah. on, too. October 18th, it's Feast at the Market from 4 to 9 p.m., and that is the Pike Place Market. 95 per person, again, a fundraiser, and that it supports the Neighbor Care Health Pike Place Market Clinic, which does a heck of a community service. So if you can support them in some way, do it. Um, they're offering self-guided tour of tastes at more than 12 participating restaurants. So you just get to kind of wander around and try whatever the restaurants are doing. Oh, so there's all the restaurants down in the market yeah, there. Yeah, at least, at least 12 of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we round out the month with Seattle Restaurant Week, running once again for two weeks, <laughs> October 23rd through November 5th. Uh, curated menus for $20, $35, $50, $50, $65 at the assorted restaurants. It's also going to include food trucks, pop-ups, and more across greater Seattle. 
use the link on our calendar page to get more details and find out what's happening when and where on what days. And with that, we will take a little break and head into our interview segment. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Pogata Restaurant and Bar, located on Mercer Island. Locally owned and operated since 1997, Pogaccia offers unmatched Northwest cuisine with an Adriatic flair. Quality food prepared simply, freshly, and with care means every visit is memorable. Come revel in their relaxed atmosphere while enjoying hand-selected fish, brine chicken, and scratch sauces. More information is available online at pogaccia.com. Hi, this is Sarah. I live in Renton, and one of my favorite restaurants is Bar del Corso. I actually love their octopus with uh, Corona beans. Hi, this is Heather Decker with Yakima Valley Tourism, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Marin, the back of the house. I'm here with Connie Adams, the front of the house. And we have a special guest now. Connie, who's our special guest today? Our very special guest is head brewer Leslie Shore from Pike Brewing down at the market. Leslie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, I was just down at the kind of opening, uh, like a little media event for you and Barbara being new and the three new beers and everything. It was so fun. And so we had some questions we thought we'd check with you and just find out what's going on down there. Sure thing. Okay. So Pike has been around for 33 years. That is so amazing. Um, you've spent the last six and a half as lead brewer at Ruben's Brews. What made you decide to make the move? Pike uh, was offering something that I just couldn't get at what I thought was going to be my permanent home at oh. Ruben's Brews. Well, she's not going to tell you what. $40,000 million every week. <laughs> every single week. That Charles, that Drew, they are so generous. <laughs> so, um, well, I, I honestly thought I was going to stay there uh, at Rubens. I mean, I've been working there since we moved out to Seattle. Oh, wow. I love that place. I love the brewery. I love the people. Um, I've been there through massive growth over the last six, almost seven years. Mm. Um, but there was nothing left for me to do there. There was no more challenges for me to 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 meet, no more mm-hmm. goals for me to attain. And when Drew and I had a conversation, everything that Drew was talking about kind of ticked all the boxes in my head for things uh. that I wanted to accomplish. And so the offer was extended, and I accepted it. Yeah. And I should say, because I brought it up first, but Drew is Drew Gillespie, who's the um, president of Pike Brewing. Yes. We're not just talking about some guy named Bru- Drew. <laughs> some, Drew guy, the Brew. some guy I met on the street, his name's <laughs> Drew. <laughs> and he likes brews, so we didn't know. <laughs> and then there's Drew's Brews, but we won't confuse that. <laughs> Let's not. <laughs> not the same Drew. No. So where is... Pike headed. I mean, this is they, what they've just done. I should have explained this earlier too, before talking about a media event. But they've rebranded. They've got kind of a streamlined uh, logo um, that 
pulls together everything they are, but looks a little more modern. So that's what they're kind of doing on the marketing side. But what are they doing on the beer side? So on the beer side, um, I myself and Barbara Beaver were brought in to um, look at the processes and procedures that are already in place in the cellar, on the hot side, and in packaging kind of break apart to those base components and build them back up to what are industry standards today. Mm-hmm. So we we came on board and there were some processes and procedures that were outdated, antiquated, and no longer considered um, to be standards in what you would see in any other brewery that you might visit. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we polished up um, how we tend to harvest our yeast and pitch, how we tend to dry hop, how we oxygenate the work. Wow. Yeah. So every single thing from basically from grain all the way to that can has been reconfigured and wow. rewritten. So all of the operating procedures or SOPs, those have all been written and put into implementation. We have a nice program when it comes to quality control, which wasn't in place when we got there. If it was, it was ramshackle because of pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, we basically went in and started analyzing what what were those key components that were more important right now what's the triage situation for this you know mm-hmm. what what do we need to address currently and what do we need to address 6 months from now what do we need to address 12 months wow from now? yeah so perfectly laid out oh yeah, yeah yeah well you kind of have to you know if if you if you try to implement a lot of change all at once a lot of those details will become lost mm-hmm. so those muscle memories from the previous years that you are trying to break down and build up in a different way, mm-hmm. those techniques that you are trying to break down and build in a different way, they're going to have a confluence where they're not going to actually stick correctly. Mm-hmm. And you'll have some off moments here and some some off techniques there that aren't necessarily what you want. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's true. Anybody coming in anywhere, you know, true. has to set that all out and communicate it clearly. Absolutely. So, um, what do you want to accomplish? I mean, obviously that. <laughs> um, I say what I would want to accomplish is just the fact that when people hear the name Pike Brewing, they think that's going to be a good beer. Yeah. And it always has been that way. But I don't remember the stats now. You probably know them. But when they started, I don't know, there were eight artisan craft breweries or something. And now there's a thousand, over a thousand. There's almost 10,000. I was close. Yeah, <laughs> you were very close. <laughs> now, that. now, bear in mind, some of those um, eighteen to twenty-two hundred are breweries in planning. So, oh, okay, we're still looking at. Uh, it's not an oversaturated market by any oh, yeah. by any means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people, I mean, Seattle's a big beer town. People yeah. love beer here. People love beer here. People love beer in lots of places. So yeah. it's. It's refreshing to see people from other locations uh, come yeah. into the pub as tourists and be like, this is just similar to so-and-so brewery oh. or this is better than blah, blah, blah brewery yeah. that I'm familiar with. Yeah. So those those are really nice, you know, um, not platitudes, but um, just really nice things to hear from from tourists that come in from out of town. Yeah. Yeah. That you're right in there. Yeah. Um, will Will there be growth, like, in terms of how much is sold retail or anything, or is because you, I mean, the the brewery itself is at the market, so there's right. a limited space. But we do have a limited space. We are limited on our tank capability right now, but uh, we are working on ways of maximizing our 
output from what we can utilize from our input. So there are ways to maximize what comes out of those tanks and what goes into those cans. Uh, There always is a plan for growth on growth every year. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't have some kind of growth, even if it's a minimal positive growth, then you're not really doing good business. Yeah. 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 You're not going to be around. Right. Um, Now, since you've been there, you've created three new beers. Tell us about those and why why those particular styles first. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, So for... Post Alley Pilsner is our brand new Pilsner. It is more in line with a traditional, I don't want to use traditional too much because then that kind of like puts you in a box, mm-hmm. right? But it's more of a what you would consider to be a traditional Pilsner style, okay. whether it's whether it's German or Czech. Um, some people use those terms interchangeably. It's very crisp. It's very light. It's, um, it's a lawnmower beer. It's a, <laughs> I'm going to sit out on the porch kind of beer. It is just something that's easy drinking, yeah. has all the good flavors that you're looking for in a Pilsner. It's crisp. It's clean. It's light tasting. It has enough of a hot bite that it'll, that it's not boring. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it finishes really nice and clean. Yeah. yeah. I tried that at the event, and it was really good. Thanks. Yeah. And then we have our Uptown Hazy. So Uptown Hazy is to let some of the folks that really aren't thinking about pike brewing, making some newer style beers mm-hmm. to stop, take a look, have a sip, and consider, hey, you know, this Hazy is just as good as this brewery's hazy or this brewery's hazy. Mm-hmm. It's super easy to drink. I thought I didn't like a hoppy beer, but here I am drinking yeah. a beer that's an IPA, but mm-hmm. it's not overwhelming and it's not piney and it's not this and it's not that. It's really smooth. It has a nice soft body. Um, the malt bill is very generously towards that um, soft uh, graham cracker almost almost angel food cake kind mm. of malt body. And then the hot bill tends towards more tropical fruits, papayas, oh. mangoes, um, just a little bit of pine on the bottom to make sure that we're not, it's not too, too sweet forward mm-hmm. and top heavy. Yeah. Um, the finish is, is slightly sweet, but it doesn't linger, has a nice mm-hmm. medium body. And I think it's just super delicious and eminently drinkable. Excellent. And the Waterfront? Waterfront is one of my personal favorites. It's the kind of IPA that I want to drink. Ah, there you go. <laughs> so there you go. That's why you made it. <laughs> That's why I made it. <laughs> when, I, when I think of all the IPAs that I've consumed over the last gajillion years, <laughs> um, I honestly start thinking about you know the old C- uh, San Diego-style IPAs when they had a lot of body and a lot of IBUs and a lot of hot bite. And while I enjoyed that, I also didn't enjoy the fact that if I ordered a second pint, I could only get part of the way through it before I had to tap out, yeah. whether it was palate fatigue or just felt too full because it's such a big beer to begin with. Mm-hmm. Over the years, IPAs have like kind of um, become a little less sweet, a little more dry, and that's where I tend to gravitate when it comes to that. So I created something that's clear. Mm-hmm. That has a nice crisp light body, still very malt present. So there, you know you can actually taste the malt and the grains in that, but it's not overwhelming and it's not cloying. And then I stuck with those traditional Southern California IPA West Coast style hops, Citra and Simcoe. Mm-hmm. They they play well together. They play well with a lot of ingredients. And to me, that's something that's super drinkable, very 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 easy to crush. And it doesn't matter if it's a lawnmower beer 
or a party beer or a barbecue beer, or yeah. it's a, I just had a day and I want this beer kind of beer. <laughs> I just had a day. <laughs> so here we are on the October show and I'm not hearing the beer I want. Uh-oh. The pumpkin spice. <laughs> pumpkin spice beer. <laughs> I think I think we were a little too late to do pumpkin spice beers this year. They usually come Maybe out in like 20, October. 23. Maybe 23. <laughs> <laughs> we usually, traditionally, they try to get um, pumpkin beers out like towards the last um, last week of August, early part of September. Oh, yeah, really pumpkin stock beers. The shelves, huh? They got to stock those shelves. Oh my yeah. gosh, I didn't even realize there were yeah. pumpkin beers. Oh yeah, so there was just there was no time for me to do a pumpkin beer. <laughs> <laughs> I just started the beginning of June, so. <laughs> You've been here six weeks. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) Well, one of the other things that was talked about is that that you've also made some improvements on six classic pike beers. Sure. And I was asking you guys when I was down there, what does that mean? And it was a great answer, so I'm going to have you repeat it here. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, So just like with any any food production facility, um, recipes can drift away from intended um, intended style guidelines. Mm-hmm. And just like a lot of breweries, uh, that can be intentional or it can be unintentional. Regardless of how it was foisted previously before I mm-hmm. came on, I've just put them back to what those style guidelines are. So okay. so for monks, we brought that back into what it needed to be to be a Belgian triple. Same thing with Kilt Lifter okay. and same thing with, uh, with Space Needle and with Cosmic Pulp. We just brought them back in line to where they needed to be. So okay. that means streamlining those recipes and um, processes in the cellar just to make sure, hey, we're doing everything correctly. This is the these are the parameters we need to to stay within. We don't mm-hmm. want to color outside the lines too much here. Yeah. Let's keep it nice and tight. Okay. The reason I like that answer is because there's so many people when you've been around 33 years. Yeah. People love certain things. It's like a restaurant that's been and they won't let you take a certain dish off. That's true. Even though it's you know. Needs to go. True. Um, but some people just love it so much. And so <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, you're coming up with new stuff and you're not really getting away from old stuff. It's no. just making it more of what it should be. Yeah. And there is, there is always that, that fear in the back of your mind, like, oh man, are we going to have a mutiny here? Because all of a sudden something tastes way too different from what, yeah. what was previously enjoyed. And what what I really tried to implement, and I hope I've been successful so far, is to just make slight changes. Every single batch was just a little different change and okay. a little different change. So it was more of a gradual okay. um, so if drift. So drinking it all along, they're not going to notice it so much. No, and and honestly, a lot of breweries will do this where they say, you know what, this is our flagship beer, and we want to bring it over to here because we've noticed that this kind of ingredient is no longer palatable or this kind of yeast is no longer desired and so how do we drift it into this into this lane over here yeah. and so you do that by gradually changing things okay. um, on a batch by batch basis are, are you sourcing all the ingredients locally Almost every single ingredient is sourced locally. Um, both of our grain distributors are located in Vancouver, Washington. We do work with local maltsters up in Skagit and out in Spokane. Um, almost every single hop that we use is either from Yakima Valley or Oregon. Very little of our hops actually come from Australia or even Germany or in Czechoslovakia. Okay. Hmm. 
Wow. Have you run into any, um, I don't know that this is a good thing to ask while you're, you know, it's on, putting you on the spot. Sure. Did you run into any resistance in the staff? Or was, it, it seems like a pretty good team, and I, I would hope that the communication was such that people wanted, you know, the change to come and wanted it to be better. But Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the team's great. Like, uh, from the first moment that we all met each other and shook hands and kind of figured out who does what and who, who goes where, mm-hmm. it's been pretty natural. Um, So just getting along with everyone and and recognizing that, hey, you know, everyone here has their own life outside of work. Everyone here has a common common love, and that is beer and pike. We both love brewing beer. We like packaging. We like doing it all. But we also really love this brewery. And so that's the commonality that we all share. So So being able to Put people first, beer second, has mm-hmm. been a huge uh, driving factor for me and for Barbara. So making sure that everyone feels welcome, everyone feels understood, no one feels demeaned, mm-hmm. in any, demeaned in any way, everyone feels as though their input is valued and validated every single day, that's very important. Yeah, that's great. Otherwise, things don't work. I mean, it's beer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, everyone should enjoy beer. It shouldn't be a horrible <laughs> <It> really <shouldn't>. experience. <laughs> no, we should have fun. We should have fun, but be safe. <laughs> well, October is when your fall seasonal comes out. Yes. And this year it's the F- Seattle Freeze. Yes. Which I think is funny, the cold uh, Seattle Freeze Cold IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that name come about, and what's the beer like? So the name came about, um, we tend to have like a name bank between Drew and and our sales team and our production team, we have like a name bank where we just kind of deposit names and try to pick them apart and see where that will fit with yeah. whatever we're trying to do. And may, we may we may never use a name, or we may think that we're going to use a specific name for one thing, and we end up using it for something else. Mm-hmm. Seattle Freeze was one of those where we just like started basically throwing stuff at a wall. What's going to stick? <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny enough that if you live in Seattle, you kind of get the joke. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's cold IPA. So cold IPAs are um, beers that are the grain bill are IPA based. The hop schedule is like a IPA. So we're treating the entire beer like we're going to brew an IPA. But we're using a lager yeast strain and we're using it at a, at a higher temperature. Okay. So it's not an, an India pale lager, which would mean um, a Pilsner or a lager grain bill and a uh, lager strain at a higher temperature and then not treated as an IPA, but treated mm. as a lager that just has extra hops in it. So it is its own different style. It's a kind of new style from the last few years. Much like a lot of newer styles, they're, you know, they're, they're half and half going to stay or they're going to fade, fade, fade down, right? So. Yeah. We're just we're happy to have something that's that's a lot of fun to make. Yeah, it tastes really delicious, and um, you know who knows how long we'll make it, right? Yeah, um, I personally enjoy it. It's um, it has a really nice crisp, dry finish like you would expect from a lager. It has that smack bite in the back like you would get from a lager or mm-hmm. a pilsner. Um, <sighs> the body is a little more substantive than you would find in a pilsner, so it's more in line with an IPA. Mm-hmm. And then the hot profile is 100% more in line with an IPA. We have a lot of tropical notes mm. on that aroma, um, just enough pine and um, uh, some dankness for that mid-palate body. 
body aroma notes, and um, it just finishes really super nice, and it's clear. Wow. So I know this is the second time I've mentioned that a beer is clear, but yeah. <laughs> sorry. But it must not be typical. <laughs> <laughs> well, the past few years, hazies really have taken off wow. like a rocket, and so there are you know, a, a contingent of folks that are just, hey, you know what? I just want something clear. <laughs> yeah. Just, I want to see through it. I just want to be able to see through it. <laughs> you know, um, um, I was laughing because some of the, the beer names are so funny. Sure. And I said, is it really fun to pick up names like this? And Drew I, goes, absolutely not. No, it actually is not. <laughs> he was like, no. No, it really isn't. <laughs> I wish it were. <laughs> I wish it were a lot easier, but it, it yeah. really isn't. It's, uh, you know, I mean, thinking of names also happens at the most weirdest time when you're not thinking of recording or writing something yeah. down and you're like, I'll remember that. And it's like, well, no, you don't remember that. Yeah. So it just becomes, it becomes more of a chore than something that's yeah. a fun thing. And of course, yeah. he mentioned you've got to go out and search everywhere to make sure it's not being used someplace. You truly so. do, yeah. So not not only is it not being used anywhere in the country, but most importantly, anywhere within the state of Washington. And then the third thing is, is it going to insult or offend anyone? Yeah. Because it could be something that's really funny, but then if you don't step back and you know do a little examination, is that yeah. offensive to someone? Maybe. Yeah. We um, went out. I probably shouldn't say this. We went to to an event out in Yakima. It was craft beverage, and it was all kinds oh, of right. stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but somebody didn't look ahead, and the initials actually were already used for another site, and it was pornographic. Oh yeah, yeah. So it was like it, everybody's saying, <laughs> "Oh, you know, text this and put it out as a hashtag." And it was like, we don't think that's a good idea. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so you have to think about all this. It's called due diligence, <laughs> yeah. and that's not fun either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just want to brew beer. <laughs> well, my last question for you is about the third story series because mm-hmm. that's coming back, and I was just mm-hmm. wondering about how it originated. Why was it discontinued, and what do you do? What are you doing with bringing it back? Sure. Um, so the third story series originated with the fact that we recognized we needed more fermentation space because mm-hmm. we weren't being going to be able to produce a lot of beer in the basement of the building. Uh, so about gosh, was it ten years ago now? It's been a long time. Um, there was a build out upstairs um, next to what is now the Pike Fish Bar. Oh, yeah. And that third cellar, and it's the third cellar on the third story. So it's okay. our third cellar, but it is on the third story, um, became the place where more esoteric and nicer styles could be produced. Oh, so we're okay. looking at brand new tanks. Tanks, when I say brand new tanks, I mean tanks that are. More in line with the past 15 years worth of brewing equipment, not the last 30 years worth of brewing equipment. So we're looking at taller columns, more narrow um, conical bottoms, uh, larger dry hop ports on the top, um, easier to clean and easier to move that liquid in and out. Um, So we actually had to close it because of the pandemic. Surprise, like most things. Yet another thing. Yet another thing. But now that we are getting back into this production groove and our production numbers are increasing... Um, we do need to utilize that fermentation space. And so to make some of these more esoteric styles uh, and one-offs, we need to utilize all the tank space we have. Yeah. So we're in the process of getting all the equipment that we need, getting everything cleaned and scrubbed, broke, tore down, built back up, and just start using those tanks again so we yeah. can get some really great beer out to everyone. Oh, that's going to yeah. be great. Yeah, That'll be fun, too. Good creative outlet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
Leslie, thank you so much for being with us. This has been really interesting. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a real treat. Thank you. Thanks. All right. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we've got some tips and tricks. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... The resort at Port Ludlow, nestled on the shores of Puget Sound, just an hour from Seattle. The resort at Port Ludlow offers 37 cozy rooms, each with a fireplace and jetted tub. And Fireside, a farm-to-table restaurant celebrating the bounty of local farms, artisan meats, and cheese. The dinner menu changes daily to reflect the best the region has to offer. Their 18-hole golf course is appreciated by players of all skill levels with stunning views throughout. The 300-slip marina offers many amenities along with kayak and watercraft rentals. Find more information online at portludlowresort.com. Hi, my name is Miles, and I live in Kelowna, British Columbia. When I visit Seattle, my favorite restaurants are any of the Ethan Stowe or Tom Douglas restaurants. Hi, this is Kerry from Tavolo, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Seattle Dining Show, and uh, once again, thank you to our special guest, Leslie Shore, with Pike Brewing, for making the trip in and giving us an insight on the the new Pike Brewing. Yeah, the new and improved. Didn't ask her if she has ever has to have Charles have her help him put his jetpack on. <laughs> I did take a little tour, though, and the Mini was there, the Mini Cooper, the Pike Brewing Mini Cooper. Oh, I haven't seen that before. Oh, yeah. Huh. All right. So uh, so we got some tips and some tricks here before we leave. Yeah. Connie, what do you got this month? I have a, a simple one. You know, sometimes the the easiest things make such a difference, but make your life easier by using a good cutting board. I have. I always get these little clear plastic ones that are supposed to be good or I have some old thing or you know some wood thing that I don't know and a friend of mine made a beautiful cutting board that is solid and sturdy and it is so easy to cut things on you know it's not slipping around and yeah it's nice it's it's really nice and it's beautiful I leave it out all the time it's holding up well too I've noticed it's not drying out I've oiled it you've oiled it okay that's good yeah doing that yeah you know I usually just go out to the recycle bin and see if anybody threw some boxes in there and I just cut up the cardboard and make myself a little cutting board when I need it (laughs) I am never eating here again (laughs) (laughs) I have the little plastic ones because I I need Often more than one cutting board. Yeah. When I'm working, so I do have the thinner, not the not the thin paper thin ones, mm-hmm. but the little. And of course, you know, my kitchen has to be blue. Exactly. So that's just the way it yeah. is. I have a, a very small yellow one that I had got from my mom one time, so she could cut limes up for gin and tonics. Mm-hmm. And then I have a small wood one that's nice. So I do have things for you know. Like you say, it, you almost always need more than one. But oftentimes, I just wash this really nice one off and start in again. Yeah. It's just a great cutting board. Yeah. And I don't know why it is, but your kitchen seems a little more easier to do that in. I don't know why. 
why it is. But Easier to do what in? Uh, to be able just to reach around and run it under the sink and clean it oh, off yeah. or, or just wipe it down with some bleach water or yeah. whatever. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. What do I got? Oh, okay. So we were talking about <laughs> my jambalaya. Yeah. And what we didn't tell you before is that uh, Connie and I did a little camping trip last July or August, and uh, that was kind of the end of it for the camp stove. Yeah. Uh, which which had about uh, seventeen years of life on it, so and, and got it, used a lot. It got used a lot. So I bought a new camping stove and I set it up out on the patio, and uh, I cooked my chicken stock the other day on it, and then I lit up the other burner and cooked my jambalaya on it, yeah. and it worked out quite good. So the tip is, if you own a camping stove. Set it up out on your patio and make dinner with it one night or make breakfast with it because you're going to want to know that it's working okay, that that it still lights when you turn the knob to flick it to light Uh, because if you lose power in the winter, this is a way you can set up an outdoor kitchen. Mm -hmm. Uh, It'll be a little chilly when you're cooking, but at least you can do things and you don't have to leave home and go and try to find friends who have electricity or whatever. And you never want to use your camp stove inside. No, you don't want to do that. So hook it up outside, see what's going on. Yeah. And everything tasted good, so there you have it. Uh, You know, I was amazed at how smooth it cooked that jambalaya. It never crisped anything to the bottom of the lodge pan. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. And I did some cooking with my really nice um, cookware that I can use on gas, induction, uh, electric oven, glass top, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's called the Dupot, D-U-X-P-O-T. Interesting. And you love that stuff, don't you? Yeah, it's great. It's working out great. Um, One of the things you did find was that the camp stove, and it might just be this particular model, it's hard to get it down too low when you're outside because the flame blows out. Yeah, so this particular model has 20,000 BTU burners. So they're basically they're twice as big as what you would find on a typical Coleman stove. Mm. Uh, but they give you know they, they they spread the heat out more, but you really need to turn it that way down yeah. so that you don't start burning stuff up because even if you go to like a medium setting, uh, you can't boil anything with that for very long without having to turn it down. Yeah. So. Okay. Good tips. All right, it is time to wrap up. Thank you for joining us on this October show. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just visit seattledining.com and click on subscribe free. We'll see you back here in November for the turkey show. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media. It may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music, a Fremont icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests 
and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Doghouse, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the Seattle Dining Show.